Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Paul when he was writing about his experience, he said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequent. So he was a frequent flyer in prisoner, you know, <laughs> in death's oft, you know. But who else besides Paul and Silas? Peter was in prison, right? Who else? James was in prison, right? John well, Patmos, yeah, the island of Patmos. Who in the Old Testament was in prison? Daniel was in prison. Who else? Micaiah was in prison. Samson, that was the hint. Samson was in prison too. Okay, good. And so they all suffered in prison. So it's like, you know, okay, Joseph, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man being in prison. And so in Joseph, he learned how he could, with a smile, change things. And by the same token, it shows us that how with a look of gloom, he could also put extra burdens on other people as well. So he's been given this great liberty in prison, where it says there in 22 and 23, verses 22 and 23, it speaks about how the keeper of the prison commits all the prisoners into his hand, whatever they did, he was the doer of it, and the, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. He just committed everything to him. You know, that reminds me, you know, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, that was the most read book in England apart from the Bible. And what happened to John Bunyan is because he preached outside the Church of England in London, he was convicted and sent to prison, and he was imprisoned in his hometown of Bedford, a little bit north of London, in Bedford. He was in Bedford Prison, and it was a real problem for him because his wife was blind, Well, the prison warden, he really liked John Bunyan. And so, just like the keeper of the prison liked Joseph. And so the warden there at Bedford Prison would let John Bunyan go out of prison and go home to his blind wife. And one day, the authorities in London, they were suspicious that John Bunyan wasn't in the prison, which he wasn't. He was at home with his wife. And so the authorities in London decided to send an investigator the next day to Bedford and really confirmed that John Bunyan was really in the Bedford prison there. So the night before the investigator arrives, John Bunyan woke up in the middle of the night and he told his wife that he just felt that he had to return to prison. And she couldn't understand why. So in the middle of the night, John Bunyan bangs on the warden's door and wakes him up and tells him he had to return to prison. And the warden, was he was angry, you know, with John Bunyan for waking him up. So what happened? The next morning, the investigators come, and they ask the warden, are all the prisoners here in the prison? And the warden says, yes. 
And then they said, is John Bunyan here in the prison? And the warden says, yes. And then they said, well, can I see John Bunyan here in prison? (laughs) And so from that time, the warden told John Bunyan, you just decide when you go and come because you know better. (laughs) Now, we come to chapter 40 now, and it opens with these words, and it came to pass after these things. It came to pass after these things. You know, it's wonderful to see in the word of God how histories are described you know, this one is great, you know, after, came to pass after the, I mean, the chapter before we found Joseph, he's at the lowest point of his life. He's a prisoner in the Egypt's worst prison. And when it looks like it's all going to end, you know, and then we might read the words like Joseph died in the prison. God begins this new chapter was it came to pass after these things. I mean, you know, it's very interesting after these things. So if you thought that these things in chapter 39 were strange, we've got a whole new set of strange events in chapter 40 here. It's very, very strange what's going to happen here. And it all kind of goes after these things. It came after these things. Now we've got new strange events coming. And what we're going to see here in chapter 40 is really a fulfillment of the statement in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is a statement. It's like an ongoing prophecy when it says we know that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. So strange things are going to happen in chapter 40. And these are going to be the all things that are going to work together. The question is, how do all these things work together? How does it happen that all these strange events that have happened really in chapter 39, happened in chapter 40, how does it happen that they all work together? How does it happen that the strange events work together in our life? How does that happen? Well, the answer, we always read at Romans 8, 28, where it tells us that all these things are working together for good. But the question is, how? And we oftentimes neglect the verse before it, Romans 8, 27, that explains how it is that all these things work together for good. Because in Romans 8, 27, it's a verse about the Spirit of God. And it describes him, as it says, and he that searches the heart's knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So in other words, the reasons why these strange events in chapter 40 are going to work together for good is because of Romans 8, 27, because he maketh intercession for the saints. It's all about intercession. I mean, there's Joseph in prison. Satan wants to destroy Joseph. But God is making intercession for Joseph. And as a result, the Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker offends Pharaoh, and they end up in prison. These are strange things. To see all these strange events working together for good because the Spirit of God, because the Lord Jesus himself are making intercession for Joseph. It's a great encouragement for us in life. It's a great encouragement just to know that God sees, God saw all the troubles that Joseph was in. God sees all the troubles that you and I are in. And then and then the Lord Jesus makes intercession for us so that these strange events will all work together for good. You know, the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ. And in that same chapter, chapter 8 and verse 34, it says in chapter Romans 8, 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yea, rather, that is raised from the dead, who's at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He makes intercession for us. That's how all these things are working together for good. 
because of the intercession. The Lord Jesus himself is making intercession for Joseph. That's how they're working together. So we look at, we were impressed, you know, with, boy, these are strange events. They're all working together for Joseph's good. But what's so impressive about this, these strange events working together for good is how silent they are. They're so silent. I mean, this is going to result in Joseph's release from prison. And no one knew what was really happening when Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker offends Joseph, offends the Pharaoh, and, they're, and he's cast, they're cast into prison. But that was a preparation that was going to cause Joseph to emerge after 10 years in prison. Who would have thought that dreams from two of Joseph's fellow prisoners were forming the great turnaround in Joseph's life? I mean, who would have imagined that just because two prisoners have dreams on one night, that this is going to be the basis for Pharaoh to exalt Joseph to become the ruler over all Egypt? But this is exactly what did happen. This is what happened, and it was God moving in a silent preparation for Joseph to be released and exalted. Now, when man looks at it, okay, when man looks at what happened, man looks at all this that happened, and man doesn't say that, well, God was moving silently to prepare for Joseph's promotion. Man says that was all a series of just amazing coincidences. Unbelievable. That's how man sees it, you know. When we look at verse 5, you know, there are some words in verse 5 that really kind of emphasize what man sees as amazing coincidences. When it says things like, you know, they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man, his dream, in one night, each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler, the baker, the king of of Egypt. and so, You know, when it says in verse 5, both of them, that's coincidence, you know, or each man, one night, each man, both his butler and his baker, at the same time. <laughs> it's like, have we got it yet? And it was just emphasizing how man sees God's work as a, just a series of amazing coincidences. What an amazing coincidence that Joseph should be in the same prison as the butler and the baker. What an amazing coincidence that Joseph should have responsibility over both the butler and the baker. What an amazing coincidence that the butler and baker should have alarming dreams in one night. What an amazing coincidence that Joseph should observe the depression on their faces in one day. What an amazing coincidence that Joseph should be able to interpret both of those dreams at that time. See, the eye of faith sees all these events that God is quietly making all to work together for good for Joseph, who loved God and was called according to his purpose. See, but the eye of unbelief sees all these events as just a series of amazing coincidences. That's how man sees the silent work of God, as an amazing coincidence. That's how man sees creation. Man without God sees creation as an amazing coincidence that resulted in, in, in all of these chance happenings of evolution. You know, the eye of unbelief stubbornly holds to the view that everything came into existence through a series of amazing chance happenings. And we credit God. We credit God for this. We never credit luck. We don't have an Irish God. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about luck. Now, chapter 40, as we come to it now, breaks down into five sections. It's very easy, five sections. The first section is the, verse, the first four verses, verses one through four. This is the imprisonment 
of the chief baker and the chief butler. That's the first, first four verses. Verses five through eight is the depression of the baker and the butler and Joseph's sympathy. And then verses nine through 15 is the chief butler's dream and its interpretation, Joseph interpreted his dream. And then verses 16 through 19 is the chief baker's dream and his interpretation. And then finally, verses 20 to 23 are just the fulfillment of both of those dreams. Now, we read in verse one where it says, it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, we're here we are, we're introduced to yet two more characters in this wonderful life of Joseph in the chapter. And the whole chapter is gonna be about them. And they're the chief butler and the chief baker. The Hebrew word here used for butler is mashke, mashke, and it comes from the root meaning of to drink, to drink. So it's referring to drinking wine. Now, the making of wine was a highly refined process in Egypt, and it involved many people, this crew, and they were the mashke, they were the butlers. But there was one butler who oversaw the whole process, and he was the person who personally served the king his wine. He was the chief butler, and he's the one who's referred to in this passage. By the way, who else in scripture had the office of the chief butler who personally served the king his wine? Yeah, that's right, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1, 11, that's the last verse, and then the next verse, 2, chapter Nehemiah 2, 1, says, O Lord, he said, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. And then he says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. So that's who Nehemiah was, this position. Now, the baker, the making of breads and pastries was also a very refined art in Egypt. And the whole process of making all these bread and pastries, there was a crew of bakers and who were involved in it, and they were all making the different types of breads and the pastries for, the, for Pharaoh. But there was a chief baker, and he was in charge of all the bakers, and, and, and he was the one who personally served Pharaoh the, the baked goods. So we're told in verse 1, that the chief butler and the chief baker had offended Pharaoh. They offended Pharaoh. We don't know the details. We don't know the details. We don't know the keeper of prison's name. We don't know the details of how they offended Pharaoh. We're not told how he offended Pharaoh. It's another example in Scripture where we're not told the details because sometimes the details would distract us and cause us to go off on a tangent. Now, none of us would ever do that. <laughs> by getting sidetracked and wondering, now why should that have offended Pharaoh, right? Okay, so to keep us focused on the main issue, we're not told what the chief baker and the chief buckler did to offend Pharaoh. Even though we're not told in his scripture, the Talmud gives the details. (laughs) The rabbis have figured it out, okay? And the Talmud says that the butler served wine with a fly in it, okay? And the Talmud says the baker served bread with a grain of sand in it. All right, anyway, if you want to believe that, that's... All right, whatever the reason was, we don't know, but it made Pharaoh angry with them, very angry. 
And so in verse 2 it says, And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. So as a result, Pharaoh's anger in verse 3 is that he puts them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. So now we see the chief baker and the chief butler. They're put in this house of the captain of the guard. So down they go into this round, as we said, that's what the word prison means, round, cold, damp, mildewed place of suffering and death, not the Holiday Inn. Okay? <laughs> so, and that was the place where Joseph was bound in irons. And that was called the house there of the captain of the guard. Who had that title of the captain of the guard? Who have we seen have that title of the captain of the guard? Genesis 39.1, the last chapter. First verse, last chapter. Who else had that title? That's it. It's Potiphar, Genesis 39.1. Joseph was brought down into Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian. Well, lo and behold, it's Potiphar. (laughs) He's the captain of the guard. Potiphar's in charge of these two prisons. And now we read in verse 4, chapter 40, verse 4, the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. Well, it's good old Potiphar. Good old Potiphar that makes Joseph in charge of these two prisoners, two new prisoners. Potiphar was angry with Joseph. Potiphar had put Joseph in this prison. So now why would Potiphar have put Joseph in charge of these two new prisoners? Could it be that Potiphar is beginning to reconcile with Joseph? Could it be that Potiphar is seeing that Joseph is really innocent of his wife's accusations? Maybe Potiphar is starting to see the light all about Joseph. Now, in verse 4, we read this statement. It's so characteristic of Joseph, as we said, and he served them. I mean, he was put over these two men. Joseph served them. And we see here in this chapter what it meant for him to serve them. He served his two prisoners by not only looking after their physical needs, but in every area of their life, including their spiritual needs. It would have been so easy for Joseph to have become hard-hearted and say, well, you're just like me, rats in the hole. You're just, you're just prisoners. Who cares about you? But that wasn't Joseph. Joseph cared for these men. And we're going to see how this reflected in what Joseph did for these men. When it says in verse 4, he served them, that becomes for us a model. That becomes for us a model. We should say, okay, that's a Joseph model. We should view ourselves when we bring the gospel to a lost person. We should see ourselves as serving that person. This is the Joseph method of soul winning. This is the Joseph soul winning. And what we're going to see here is that Joseph studied these two prisoners. He studied these two prisoners he was in charge of. A Joseph soul winner studies a lost person to get to know that lost person. And he's on the lookout in his study for where is the trouble that is afflicting this lost person. We see in this chapter, in verse, verse 6 here, that's what makes it so beautiful about Joseph. It says, Joseph came unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. A Joseph soul winner asks his lost friend questions and engages in conversations and listens more than he speaks. And that's what's so beautiful in verse 6 when it says, he looked upon them. He looked upon them. He took the time to look on them. So often we don't look on the people that we're trying to win to the Lord. There are so many benefits of the gospel. It's like a closet and you have to choose the right benefit, pull it out of that closet to emphasize to the lost person. And that requires some tailor work. 
Just like a tailor measures the person. For me, we've got a lot of measuring to do, but to know how you cut and sew, how you cut and sew, how you cut and sew the cloth. A Joseph soul winner listens to his lost friend to see the believer may look upon his friend and find his friend feels defiled from his sin. Then the believer will emphasize, he'll go to the closet and he'll pull out from the gospel closet the right garment, which is the gospel cleansing, the gospel cleansing. And he'll say, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's what you can have available from the gospel. The, the believer may look upon his lost friend and detect that his friend is afraid of judgment. He's afraid of judgment. He's afraid of dying. He's afraid of judgment. He's afraid of hell. And the believer will emphasize, go to the closet and pull out of there the gospel assurance of heaven, assurance of forgiveness. It all comes from doing what Joseph did. He looked upon them. And then Joseph probed his friends to find out why they look so sad in verse 7. He asked questions. That's what it means to serve. That's what it means to serve. It means to fit a message like a tailor makes the right fit clothing. As a matter of fact, it's that very word fit that's used in Proverbs 25.11. Proverbs 25.11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The effective soul winner is like a tailor who's looking for that part of the gospel message that will fit perfectly for this lost person. And when he finds that fit message, it's so beautiful, it's described as apples of gold and pictures of silver. I don't even know what that looks like, but it sounds very beautiful. (laughs) But we so often have the approach with lost people at the gospel with a one-size-fits-all. That doesn't work. You know, it's always, let me ask you one question. If you were to die tonight, do you have 100% assurance you'd go to heaven? Okay, that doesn't work. That doesn't fit. A person may say, no, but that's not really what bothers him. And then we say, well, but it should bother you. We're going to make it bother you because I've got a size that's going to fit you and you've got to get that on. No, what bothers him may be, as I said, his feeling of being feeling so dirty inside or so entrapped by his sins. I want to, but I can't. Stop. So the best fit message is, is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and, and uh, being free from sin from Romans 7. But the soul winner is never going to know. He's never going to know that unless he first listens carefully to his lost friend. And so he can have this Proverbs 25, 11, word fitly spoken, word fitly spoken. And a person may say, well, I serve the Lord. But to serve the Lord means to serve the lost, It was a great service to the lost when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Why? The greatest need of the lost is to not perish and have everlasting life. So God serves the lost. When God sent his son to to the lost world, that's exactly what he was doing. And that's what we see from those words. He served them in verse 4. And the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 22, as we said, Luke twenty two twenty seven, I am among you as he that serveth. That was Joseph. That was Joseph. Okay, I think we're going to stop here now. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the life of Joseph and how he teaches us. He teaches us so much about you, and he teaches us so much about how we should be to please you. And help us, Lord, to adopt into our lives what we See you in Joseph today, in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free 
at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.